The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. to know the score i'm your host don de la Rente, and i'm joined by my co-host the libra icon Dwayne. what's going on Dwayne? not much uh, back in the saddle that's uh we got some catching up to do don't we yeah man yeah we do uh we missed a, a week or so of uh recording so we missed a couple of weeks of uh news and stories but everything moves so fast so we're actually going to be right on time when we talk about what we're going to talk about today another score is brought to you by the CSPN you can find us on the web at CSPN.us you can also find us through your podcast platforms iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio all you have to do is search KTS pod dash the CSPN so the curious case of college football continues on as we're headed towards championship weekend. The big game, the rivalry game of Michigan versus Ohio State was canceled due to the COVID outbreak. So for the first time in almost 100 years, or over 100 years, I think, these two teams did not play their coveted game. So that basically made sure that Ohio State would be underneath the threshold of six games that the Big Ten had mandated a team play to qualify for the Big Ten title game. Well, what do you know? Because Ohio State remains fourth in the college playoff rankings, the Big Ten is going to strike down that newly created uh, qualification and now on Saturday it's going to be Northwestern versus Ohio State for the Big Ten title so with five games played with their sixth game coming up in this championship game do you think it's fair that Ohio State is still inside the college playoff rankings should they be in or should they be out? <laughs> I'm laughing because you know my answer to this is going to be, of course they should be out. But it, it, when I saw this, the first thing I said, how convenient. Because Ohio State's the money program. When you're, when you're this good, you get perks. And the perk of being good and the perk of being fourth in your college football in the in the college football playoff rankings, then you have to make some quote unquote, and I'm air quoting this as I say this accommodations. Um, of course this isn't this isn't fair to the teams that have followed the six game mandate and were able to play six games and Ohio State should not be in it, but the Big Ten knows 
and I think anybody knows that this is their money program. You know, money, ratings, the ratings would fall off a big deal if their team is not in the game. So, um, and of course, you know, the opportunity to get more money if Ohio State wins the whole thing. So, this is one of those where I can be angry and throw things and tweet angrily about how this isn't fair, but this is the name of the game. And when you're successful, these things happen. So I don't think it's fair, obviously, but that's just what it is. And that's the reality. And unfortunately we got to accept said reality. If you don't put Ohio State in your top four, who do you replace them with? That's a very, that's another thing. I mean, there hasn't been anybody as impressive. Somebody that can just be like, wow, this team is a solid number four. Um, I'm looking – I want to try to see if I can get these rankings pulled up because um, if I – Until they got upset by LSU in the Swamp 37-34, I think Florida, if they could beat Alabama in the SEC championship game this weekend, would have basically solidified that spot and made it super hard for Ohio State to, to catch – to, to remain in that fourth spot. But now that they've gotten beaten, Texas A&M has the next best record, but they don't play any more games. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, if you take Ohio State out, um, then you really don't have, because Florida played late, Florida literally played themselves out, and I don't even think a win over Alabama's going to put them over the top. No, not now. Not with one loss. Yeah, so... And... and for them... Yeah, two losses. That's two. Yeah, that's two. So they're definitely... They're definitely out of it at this point. So... Um, yeah, this is just... Uh, this is just... Um, you know... Sometimes it's better be lucky than good. I mean, you got... A couple undefeated teams, but of course, the strength of schedule isn't really there for uh, Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. So, um, yeah, so basically at this point, you know, because of where Ohio State is, in spite of playing only five games, they're right there where probably they should be. North Carolina defeated Miami shockingly 62 to 26. Their two running backs, Carter and Williams, ran for over 540 yards collectively. And more than likely, North Carolina is going to represent the ACC in the Orange Bowl. 
Uh, if things go to plan and Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, uh, that means that the ACC will have both or two representatives, excuse me, in a college football playoff. And the Orange Bowl gets the rights to the next best team, and that would be North Carolina. I did not expect North Carolina, A, their defense to play as well as it did, and two, did not expect that, that big of a breakout from their running game. Uh, Sam Howell really didn't have to do a lot. He did set the tone early with a big uh, touchdown pass in the first quarter. Uh, but the running backs were the story in this game. Uh, just huge holes, uh, long runs. Um, it really dominated Miami up front, which was uh, something I did not see coming. I didn't see this coming either. I, I I thought it would be a good game. I didn't think it would be this one-sided. I think North Carolina just came in with uh, – Great game plan on both sides of the ball. And I think there might have been a little bit of an air of overconfidence a little bit on the Miami side. I think they probably weren't expecting uh, North Carolina to run wild. And it showed that there's still a lot of holes in the in that defensive side, especially in the running game. Um I think the best part of this was the simple fact that that uh, you know North Carolina's defense was very stifling. Uh, you know the Canes' offense couldn't move as fluid to match those points because uh, we know Carolina can score. Their defense has been the Achilles' heel of them for most of the season. And now, you know, for them to go up against a top 10 team this late in the season and allow 20 points, that's a, that's a major step in the right direction for uh, Matt Brown and company. So I think this is a big chance for uh, UNC to continue to move in that right direction as, as the years go on in this uh, second era of Matt Brown as well. Oregon is going to replace Washington in the Pac-12 title game due to, of course, COVID uh, concerns. So USC and Oregon are going to play each other uh, to determine the champion out in the Pac-12. Like we said, Ohio State versus Northwestern over in the Big Ten. Alabama versus Florida in the SEC. Notre Dame versus Clemson uh, in the ACC is basically the linchpin game. If Clemson loses to Notre Dame twice, they're out. And Ohio State is probably definitely in. Taking their place. If Clemson wins and Florida wins, then that gives Florida a lifeline to maybe sneak themselves back into the conversation. But that would be a backdoor in for Florida. Uh, Your thoughts on the rematch, Notre Dame versus Clemson. I think this is going to be a little bit different. We saw a great game the first go-around when Notre Dame beat Clemson. Of course, uh, Trevor Lawrence was out with uh, his COVID um, test. So now that he's been cleared and he's playing again, this will be 
Clemson's game for the taking, I think. And it's going to be a different game around, obviously. Um, I want to say that uh, while North Carolina, I mean, not North Carolina, but Notre Dame has had a um, great season, uh, I believe that, you know, they should get in win or lose uh, regardless of what happens in this game. Um, so, yeah, this is Clemson. Clemson has more to lose than anything. And I just think that in this case with North Carolina, I don't know why I keep saying North Carolina. I got North Carolina on the brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Notre Dame, um, Notre Dame is – Notre Dame solidified their spot when they beat Clemson, even without Trevor Lawrence and running the rest of the table. So now Clemson, all they got to do is just return serve here. Uh, ACC will get two in. Um, and I would be surprised if Notre Dame wins uh, again just because of the dynamic that Trevor Lawrence brings to the to the whole situation. Yeah, Clemson's also going to have some uh, defensive guys back that they did not have in that first game as well. So uh, that should make a huge difference in them uh, hopefully defending uh, Ian Book and uh, the threats that Notre Dame does present running the ball as well. Uh, it's going to be a heck of a game, definitely the marquee matchup uh, of the weekend uh, this weekend in college football. Uh, as Especially we- since they played all their games too. <laughs> right, right, right. As we transition over to college basketball, uh, not so good start for two traditional powerhouses, UNC and Duke, both struggling, um, both lost big in their uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge games. Uh, North Carolina lost to Iowa, allowing 17 threes, and uh, my man Garza just dominated them uh, on the inside. And Duke was never really in the game against Illinois. Came into Cameron and uh, ran all over Duke. So, um, you know, not your traditional year when you look at the top 25 in college basketball. A lot of schools that, you know, haven't really been this high in the college basketball realm uh, in a long time are, are, you know, in the top five, top ten. What do you attribute this to, this new um, kind of, you know, new look to the college basketball world. Uh, Kansas is holding serve, uh, but they're probably the only blue blood right now living up to their billing. Kentucky's really struggling uh, to start the season. I think they're like one and four uh, to start the yeah. season. So uh, just, you know, what do you, what do you make of the early season struggles for the traditional blue bloods? I want to, I think the fact that, for some of these blue bloods, especially like Duke and Kentucky, they feed off a crowd. I think I think the crowds make a difference. The passion, the the full arena, the cramped Cameron indoor with the camera crazies going nuts. Uh, the big blue nation loud and proud for Kentucky games. And you don't, I think it's one of those intangibles 
that is not there right now with everything going on in the world. And so the lack of that is kind of like, okay, we really got to, it's just you, our team versus the opponent. And we don't have, we don't have 9,000 to 20,000 people having our backs. Right. Right. The, cause look, Cameron, Cameron indoor stadium is one of my top five, top three, I should say one of my top three most intimidating places. Um, I'll say this behind Allen field house, um, maybe a little biased by that, but whatever. Um, Allen field house. And I would also say, let's, there's another, I want to say there's another place, but, uh, Breslin center, Michigan state. Um, those are like I think three of the top environments, and Kentucky probably the that the fan base of Kentucky is the most loudest and proudest. Like I, I've been to an SEC tournament game here in Nashville, and <laughs> when you go to the SEC championship game, like it's basically a Kentucky home game. So I think the kids, especially these young, the younger players. They, you know, they usually expect that, but it's kind of like, oh, snap, we don't have this right now. Mm-hmm. How are we going to function? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and so now the teams that, the, the less traditional teams, and we got to give Iowa and Illinois, give Illinois, especially Illinois. I mean, Brad Underwood, he came from Stephen F. Austin. He went to, I want to. He went to Oklahoma State, and then he got the Illinois job. I mean, Illinois was probably had a bigger budget than Oklahoma State, not by much, but hey, Big Ten is a hotter conference than the Big Twelve in a grand scheme of things. So he's got this program, and I, I thought Brad Underwood would have been a problem when he would when he went to Oklahoma State, simply because he can recruit. What he did at Stephen F. Austin was amazing. And so just – and I have a good friend of mine who is from Illinois. He's from Champaign. And he he was always – had some bad things to say, and I kept telling him, just got to be patient. Let him get his guy – let him get the players that he is – he wants and let him coach him up and – and we're going to be – they're going to be a much better team. So now that he's got a couple years, a couple seasons in now, these kids are showing up now, and and the Illini are one of the best teams in the country now. So this was, this was a long time coming. It's the same with Fran McCaffrey. I mean, this man – uh, this man came from the Mac at, at Iona. I think it was Iona or Sienna, one of the two. Um, but he has also had, he's had a few more years than Brad Underwood. He's been at Iowa for quite some time. But this this guy is able to get the job done. I mean, this guy has been able to get the job done wherever he has been. And he has actually got them right where they should be. I mean, yeah, he was at Siena, 
So he's at USC Greensboro in the late nineties. And then he went to Siena and now he's at Iowa. And now he's got Iowa to the number three spot in the country. So um, these coaches who were great in the mid-major game, getting their programs built up in the getting their programs built up in the bigger conferences. So we're going to start seeing some of these teams that are not traditional powerhouses start to become a factor and just be like, hey, we're here. We are going to be here for quite some time. Get used to it. Uh, Gonzaga still holding things down as the number one team in all the land. Um, if it looks like they can get to the end of this college basketball season, which looks very iffy at this point, um, right. with the tournament being isolated in one spot, teams that have senior leadership, older teams that will be less distracted, will probably fare well. And Gonzaga is one of the most is one of the most senior laden teams in the country, so uh, it could definitely be the year that Gonzaga finally breaks through and uh, sheds the label of quote unquote mid major, even though they really haven't been that in the last you know decade or so. But they, yeah, but they get that national championship though, and uh, yeah, it'll it'll definitely be a, a different level of. Uh, achieved by Gonzaga. Yeah, like you said, I mean, it's basically been since 1999. Uh, Mark yes. Few uh, broke on the scene, and they've been slowly climbing uh, to become, you know, a powerhouse in the last 20 years. Exactly. I think, yeah, I think what we have seen from the Zags over those 20 years, I mean, we went from saying, who the fuck is Gonzaga to oh, shoot, this team is, this team's been a problem. And then they've, they've been right there. Like they've been so consistent, but now. I mean, they played in the national championship game three years ago. Right, exactly. And, and um, this team, you know, when I saw them against Kansas, I mean, that was also attributed to the fact that, um, Kansas wasn't playing that great a defense, but anytime you make a you try to establish a run against these guys, these guys are so experienced. And it's like you said, the senior laden leadership, this team ends up making an answer to everything that you do. So if you make a run, they're gonna make a run right back at you. If you try to get if you get down in double digits, you get into single digits, they're going to bring it back up to double digits, probably even more than what the lead was to begin with. So, yeah, this is going to be a very tough, a tough team to beat, a very tough out in the tournament if it gets to that point. And I'm just impressed by the way, you know, they play for each other. They're well coached, and and they're going to be a very tough team to put out and even stop. Um, I really wish that um, I really wish though for, you know, for our sake would, we would have seen them play Baylor. Um, But uh, because of uh, Baylor's COVID issues, that one versus two matchup would have been, would have been great because Baylor had the COVID test before now. Gonzaga's got the 
uh, COVID test going on from the Baylor game as well. So uh, they've had four games. They've had four games canceled. Haven't played since uh, the second. So hopefully they can get that Iowa game in because Iowa's the number three team in the country. And they're they're playing some tough they're playing some tough teams on the schedule too. Um, hopefully we can we can see what they do if they play again. Right, right. Yeah, the COVID issues is really taking a toll on college basketball uh, just because there's so few players. Um, you know, all it takes is like two people to catch it, and you know, to to test positive, and you got to shut your whole thing down. Uh, and that's, you know, two weeks. And then that's just if everybody is good uh, with mild symptoms. So, yeah, there's a lot of fluidity uh, that's going to happen, I think, throughout this college basketball season. Um, that's going to make it very hard, uh, especially if some of the bigger teams get some of their conference games canceled uh, once we get into the meat of the season, uh, how they're going to juggle those things around um, flexibility-wise in college basketball. Uh, this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. Uh, we're going to move on to Major League Baseball, where the big news this week, the Cleveland Indians will change their name from Indians after 108 years. Um, just with the climate of the times, and the nature of you know where we are in the world, Cleveland has decided to move away from that moniker. I don't you know they don't have anything in line as of yet uh, to replace the name Indians, but definitely a big big change uh, in the world of sports with that coming down. Uh, I don't think that people really thought that that would be offensive in a way, but you know to native people i don't think that that's a very a term that they really get down with so if it's offensive to them then yes cleveland should do the right thing and change the name um yeah i can only imagine what they're going to be logo and everything such a big undertaking when you have to do this um it's not only just you know the name on paper it's logos and signage and sponsorships and all types of things that, that have to undergo this large process um, but good yeah. luck to to the the Cleveland baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at least I did see that there. Yeah, so there. This will be the last year as the Cleveland Indians, um, and then and then they'll change it. I mean, I mean it's been a hundred and a hundred and. Six, it'll be 106 uh, before when the season of the 2021 season is over with. Because uh, they changed the name in 1915 from the Cleveland Naps to the Cleveland Indians. And then, and then, uh, so I, there's a whole lot of, I mean, people already talking about Cleveland Spiders, uh, which was an old team name from back in the day. Um, I know at least they're not going to have any uh, informal names or anything of that sort. So the tribe is already out. 
So <laughs> if you're looking for that to be the next name, uh, you can forget that. Um, it's time. I think this is, you know, they, they've done the progression. I mean, they phased out the Chief Wahoo logo and then changing it to the Block C. Uh, they basically had Cleveland on their uniforms for the most part. Um, and so, yeah, now you got to have the signage, uh, signage at Progressive Field, like you said, uniforms, uh, logos that are throughout the stadium, throughout the – I know some seats probably have the Block C or even the old logo, uh, the old Chief Wahoo logo. So you got to change all those out. And you have to also make it a name that's true to your region as well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a whole lot. That's going to happen here. Um, I wonder if the minor league team in Indianapolis is going to follow suit. Because, uh, you know, the AAA affiliate of the Steelers is the Indianapolis Indians as well. So um, I wonder if they're going to follow suit um, or if they're going to keep that name going. So. I would probably figure um, if they're going to do something and undertake a thing that large that the minor league team would probably fall under it too. Um, Just with, you know, how in lockstep most of those uh, major league teams want their minor league teams to be with them. Uh, So, yeah, they'll probably end up having a change to their uh, minor league team name as well. So uh, just a major milestone. So, you know good job for the people in leadership in Cleveland and I'll be interested to see what the, what they come up with the ownership you know they'll probably console you know the fans and uh, you know like I said it'll be a search a consultant firm or something they'll probably come out and be like this is what you should name them and hopefully they have some cool new merch and um, that's the one cool thing that can always come out of this is even though you know they lose all that tradition with the old um, you know name maybe they can get some new tradition started with some cool merch and you know attract some new fans yeah yeah I think and that's and that's one of the things also that I can't wait to see what they do in Washington as well. And I know you're looking forward to that too, being a fan of Washington, uh, because you know, we you have you know, the merchandise factor, what the concept of the name will be, uh, what will be the uh, you know, different you know, apparel and looks and things of that sort. So alternate jerseys, I mean, we know that those are very popular amongst Nike loves making alternate jerseys. Like, like it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, I mean, we look at the, look at the alternate jerseys they've done for the NFL, uh, the color rush program they went through. Uh, some teams kept it, some teams ditched them. Uh, uh, the constant change of uniforms for the NBA and even they're going to probably get eventually do the same with major league baseball. So uh, I can't wait to see what they do. Um, I wish they would get NHL back, but I do like what Adidas did with the reverse retro. Um, That Kings jersey is just beautiful. I just want to say that, (laughs) but um, 
I, 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 this is a, this is going to be a, it's going to be a dawn of a new era. I know there's going to be a whole bunch of dissenters, uh, and I once again put the air quotes on traditionalist, but you know you can't really be have this tradition where tradition of a controversial name. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of memories, you know, baseball wise that are associated with the name, and it's always going to be a part of the history. But at this point, it's just that it's history, and we got to move forward. These times are different, and you just got to go with it. Right, right. Speaking of, the times are different and got to go with it. We're going to move to the NFL, where that before mentioned Washington football team has somehow found their way into first place. They defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers to get them their first loss of the season, 23-17, last Monday. Then they followed that up with their fourth straight win behind the defensive effort of Chase Young and Montez Sweat and those boys. And they defeated the 49ers 33-23, to 23, excuse me, to 15. Uh, the offense did not score any offensive touchdowns. They could only account for two field goals. Defense with two scores. So just a great all-around effort for the Washington football team. Solid improvement by Ron Rivera in his first year. Uh, things have really improved since they uh, went away from Dwayne Haskins, made some other moves. Uh, defense has actually started to step up a little bit since the injury of Landon Collins as well. Um, just an overall turnaround in year one of the program for Ron Rivera. Couldn't be more pleased. Um, definitely in a position now where if they can win two out of their final three games, uh, they're more than likely going to represent the NFC East in the playoffs. Who would have thunk it a month ago? So uh, just your thoughts, uh, Libra Icon, on the resurgence of the Washington football team. Four wins in a row. Uh, first place in the NFC East. I mean, being that I have had the Ron Rivera experience for quite some time prior to his arrival in Washington, this is no surprise. I mean, this is just something where things just had to come together. It just, you know, I know we as fans, we always want that instant gratification, but that just doesn't happen. So... Uh, this took this took time, and and what Ron Rivera has uh, done with this team, and and uh, you know, this started with it started with his arrival, started with drafting Chase Young. Uh, he's playing well. Montez Sweat has been playing well. Um, Antonio Gibson was was one of the big factors too before he was out with the turf toe injury but uh, the best part of this story is no doubt about it Alex Smith I mean <laughs> there's nobody else in the stratosphere in my eyes that's that should win the comeback player of the year award no matter what happens uh, Alex Smith is the comeback player of the year this year uh, what he has done and what what he has done with this team 
uh, you know, just taken over out of circumstance because of Kyle Allen's injury. Uh, but he has taken full reign. Uh, he still has shown that he still has it. And, and uh, it's just been very refreshing to watch. And, you know, I would, of course, you're going to eventually either have to get back to Dwayne Haskins or, you know, find a, another quarterback in the later rounds or something or early rounds, whatever. But I'm enjoying the Washington story simply because of what Alex Smith is doing, plain and simple. Yeah, Alex Smith left the game uh, yesterday uh, with some soreness in his calf on the leg that he injured a couple of years ago. So as precautions, they you know just took him out of the game. Um, they said he could have played if it came down to it. Um, Dwayne Haskins had a chance there to kind of, you know, show some improvement. He had a pretty decent first drive and the start of a second drive, but, uh, you know, still has some of the issues that have basically plagued him from, uh, holding on to his job, uh, as the starter, uh, his footwork isn't really that much improved uh still uh making some bad throws across the middle high and late uh one that almost got intercepted got overturned though hit the ground um so there's still some things that he could definitely work on in his game uh if he had to sit behind alex smith for one more year and then they let him be the starter full-time again in his third year that might be better for him but i just don't know if his personality and the type of player he is, if he works hard enough for Ron Rivera personally, you know, just might not be a fit personally uh, for Ron Rivera. Um, But, you know, that'll be something that we look to in the off season right now, you know, let's swatch the football team fan. Let's go out here and see if we can continue this momentum. If we can find a way to beat Seattle, that's the game right there. That's going to be the clincher because we should, I say should, be able to beat the Carolina Panthers the next week. And uh, that would be probably the clinching game for the playoff spot right there. But got to get this Another one. Scoreboard. Yeah, got to get this one against uh, Seattle first. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, they're going to pose a different threat to our defense with Russell Wilson uh, scrambling around those big receivers out there running fast and making plays. So should be a very interesting game. going to be a lot harder if uh, Alex Smith does not start that game uh, for the Washington football team. Cam Newton. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Go ahead. I was going to just say, yeah, the uh, you should have no problem with that young Panthers defense. So. I, I think y'all should be all right, honestly. But, yeah, let's get back to the former Panther quarterback. Cam Newton, he gets benched uh, for um, Jarrett Stidham, who really didn't make the most of his opportunity when he was out there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the the Patriots lost to the Rams 24-3. to Um <sighs> Cam had an interception that really wasn't his fault. Got stuffed down on the goal line a couple of times, um, you know, early in the game when the game was still in the competitive phase. But uh, too much Aaron Donald in the end, basically, is what this all comes down to. 
Jared Goff looked very good, um, you know, in this game, three touchdown passes. Um, so what did you learn more about? Did you learn more about Cam or did you learn more about the Rams? Learn more about the offense a lot of the Patriots. Did you see the left guard of the Patriots just literally sit there like uh, like a player on Madden that's stuck and you can't move him? <laughs> and just allowed Michael Brockers to just go in and clobber Cam. Let's show more about the offensive line of the Patriots and more of the guys around Cam than anything else. Uh, I mean, Cam is going to be – Cam is going to be Cam. I mean, he's going to make the error throws. He's going to make the overthrows. He's going to make the – He's going to make uh, decisions where he should have ran it instead of passing it or or he's going to make a read that he shouldn't. And, and like I said, he's infamous for the overthrow. So that's just what you're going to get. I mean, that's what, you know, Carolina fans are to deal with. That's what Patriots fans are going to have to deal with or wherever he goes um, in his next uh, journey with his whatever team he goes to, because he will be on a heel land somewhere. But this does also show that the Rams also, I mean, when you have Aaron Donald um, on your line, I mean, that just creates havoc wherever you put them. Um, that's the – that's just – what, that's just who the Rams are as well. So I think this just shows more of the flaws around uh, Cam Newton versus anything else. Um, and also, you know, with the injuries that the Patriots have had uh, and, you know, and whoever, and then those who opted out as well. Um, not using that as a crutch, but it does have a factor in what's going on too. Yeah, they definitely have been hit hard defensively, especially um, by people deciding to opt out before the season. Um, yeah, Cam Newton is, like we talked about before, just not the quarterback for such a precise passing game. Right. If, if everything's got to be about – run and catch and not just, you know, big arm, big throws down the field, then, yeah, Cam Newton is probably not going to be your quarterback that you would like to, um, you know, have in your system. That's why I always thought that the way that he plays would have matched up well with the way the Chargers play. Uh, they got those tall, big receivers. They like to get down the field. And Cam Newton has accurate downfield passing. It wouldn't have to be so much, you know, finesse and touch with those big guys. He could be inaccurate enough where they could still make him look good. I just thought that that combination would fit him a lot more uh, just for his what he is Um than the Patriots because I think the Patriots need a you know a guy who is just so precise at playing the position of quarterback um, to make their thing go um, with the style of offense that they like to run. 
the Steelers, they appear to be, uh, you know, coming up on a little rough spot here in their season. Uh, they lost to the Washington football team, and then they followed that up with another loss on Sunday night to the Bills, 26-15. to told you. Uh, they lost their grip on the number one seed in the AFC to the Chiefs, who have already wrapped up the AFC West and are guaranteed a playoff position. <laughs> Uh, the, of course. The Steelers have um, not really been as explosive um, this year. Frauds. Uh, as far as their passing game, they're passing a lot, but they're, um, you know, using their passing game as an extension of their running game because they haven't really been trying to run it, even though they did try to run it a little bit more last night. Um what do you see as the biggest adjustment the Steelers need to make coming down the stretch? Should they, you know, just try to move it down the field a little bit more than they have been, have been take more chances. He's been getting the ball out really quick this year. They've been using a short, short, quick passing game to kind of just methodically move the ball down the field. Or do you think that they should maybe start trying to load it up use these last, you know, three games to kind of get better at being a running team so that that can be something that they can lean on once we get to the playoffs. They might need to do the latter uh, because most times when you're a playoff team, especially especially in as the temperatures drop, you need a solid running game because the temperature drops – the ball gets more of a brick-like feeling, and it's harder to throw the ball. I'm sure you've played football in the cold, right? Um, that thing feels that thing feels a whole lot different when it's 20 degrees versus when it's 70 degrees, right? Oh, most definitely. Yes. So you have to figure. You got to. It's going to be harder to throw the ball. And if teams have good man coverage or if they have a nice zone scheme or even a zone blitz scheme where where the you know you drop the defenders and you got defenders up on the front line that can cover pretty well, then you have to basically think that you basically have to run the ball at this point. And so if I'm the Steelers, uh, you've lost the number one seed, um, you lost to Washington. I don't think they fully mentally recovered in time for that game. And it affected them against the Bills. And the Bills have been opportunistic all season long. Uh, they're closing in on their first division title since 1995. Um and yeah, this is the Steelers really need to get back. They need to run the ball better, and you know you can't you can't do short passes and screens and swings all the time because if you have a pass rush that's quick enough to pick up on that, then Big Ben's gonna be toast. Jalen Hurts wins his first start for the Philadelphia Eagles 
as they upset the Saints 24 to 21. Uh, Jalen Hurts with over 100 yards of rushing. Uh, Sanders, uh, Brandon Sanders, or Miles Sanders, excuse me, in this game as well. Also had 100 yards rushing. I think it's like the first game, first time in like 56 games. The Saints have allowed uh, a 100 yard rusher. Uh, so, um, <laughs> seems to be the the story of Carson Wentz, right? He struggles all through the season, gets replaced in the last quarter of the season, and the backup gets hot and goes on a run. So, um, Philadelphia did have like all their um, you know weapons for the first time in a long time in this game. So Jalen Hurts did get the benefit of having uh, some guys out there that Carson Wentz necessarily hadn't had a lot of time to play with out there. But I watched a lot of this game. I thought Jalen Hurts looked good. Uh, they they used him effectively in the read option game. Uh, the throws that they did have him make, they were safe throws to the outside, not really too many throws in the middle of the field or not too many uh, complex concepts where he had to do a lot of reading of the field. I thought that, you know, Doug Peterson just did a very good job of managing his play calling uh, to get them, uh, you know, a good lead. They actually were up, uh, I think, like 14 to nothing in this game uh, early on. So uh, their defense definitely uh, with the better offense is looking a lot fresher. And uh, they really did a number on Taysom Hill and the Saints. But the Saints still had a chance at the very end. Uh, onside kick hit one of the Eagles players, and there was a mad scramble, and uh, the Eagles happened to recover, and uh, they got to milk the game out from there. But very impressive by Jalen Hurts. He keeps the Eagles alive, as crazy as it seems, in the uh, NFC East. <laughs> if the Eagles can find some type of way to win their next game, uh, then they have a chance in their final game. They play Washington at home to represent the NFC East. So, yeah, this is a very fluid situation in the NFC East. Dallas is also um, still, slow, uh, 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 you know, lurking around because cause they got a win over the, the Bengals. Uh, the Giants seem to be the team in the most dire straits right now after losing um, to the Cardinals with uh, Daniel Jones being injured. Clearly not uh, mobile in the game against the Cardinals. I think he got sacked like six or seven times. Um, so going to be a lot of fun coming down the stretch of the NFC East. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, they dampened the Raiders' playoff chances with a 44-27 win. Uh, they got the defensive coordinator of the Raiders fired, Paul Gunter, uh, after this game. Uh, the Raiders' defense has really been kind of – uh, fluctuating here the last month or so. And so John Gruden has decided to move on uh, from Paul Gunter uh, in a last-ditch effort here to get the Raiders into the playoffs uh, here at the end of the year. I thought the Raiders were really going to be one of the teams that were going to be a lock to get in, but uh, they've kind of regressed since that very close game on Sunday night against Kansas City. They've The Raiders have regressed, and with – Couple and you couple that with a surprising team like the Dolphins and the Browns, who have risen to the upper echelon playoff contenders in the AFC. Uh, then you have the Titans and Colts who are fighting for that AFC South crown. Um, yeah, the this is they've been the 
probably the biggest disappointment of of the year. Um, you know, maybe it is time. I mean, the defense, the defense, uh, obviously getting you fire the DC at this point. Um, you know, you really don't have. You could try to see what Marcus Mariota can do, and maybe he takes over. For uh, I don't think their offense has really been an issue. I think cars play pretty good. I just think that they haven't really been able to really slow anybody down. But if you're not able to slow anybody down, what you have to do at that point, you have to find ways to keep up or be that little bit much better, right? Right, right. I don't, I, I, I just personally don't think that Derek Carr has now last year okay the Derek Carr that played last year definitely would have said hey they maybe need to just see if they can get a shot in the arm but I don't think he's played that terribly this year I think he's played I don't think think so either but maybe I just say maybe you need to maybe there's you know can Mariota give them the energy, because it's not like you're kind of like how the Eagles are doing with Wentz in a sense. Um, you know, kind of like give a shot in the arm and see what happens. I mean, Jalen Hurts played well, and it could possibly be, be his job at this point. It may not be. I know the Eagles don't want that $59 million hit, but I'm not sure it would be a significant less hit on the Raiders' side, but I'm just saying maybe not only to get the defense going, but get the whole team going. But I don't see it happening, not because their car has been inefficient. It's just something that possibly you throw out there. Not saying it should happen or it will happen, uh, just something to float the idea. You know, kind of keep the, you know, keep it, you know, unpredictable. Keep the unpredictability factor. All right. Now we'll go over to your Carolina Panthers. They were the elixir that was the uh, what the uh, Denver Broncos needed as they snapped their losing streak with a 32-27 win over the Panthers. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, yes, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, just not, um, impacting the game like he was early in the year. Um, another game where I don't think he had any touchdown passes or interceptions. He was just, you know, a guy. Um, so they, they've seemed to be lacking, you know, just that extra bit of punch, that they were getting uh, early in the year from Teddy. Uh, Like you said, the defense, uh, they had a lot of issues with COVID, uh, missing a lot of players on that side as well. Uh, So so now we'll talk about your latest incarnation of the Panthers, uh, what you saw from this Sunday, and what you'd like to see for the last three games of the year. Uh, I just want to see the young guys continue to get experience. I mean, we – the Panthers, I the Panthers already came in, already knowing that 
this was going to be a season of transition and rebuilding. And it's just, I mean, again, you look at the fact that this team has, what's the word I'm looking for? They lose another game under 10 points. And so one, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of their non-losses have been 10 points or less. And so if they're losing these games by under... 10 points. This that just means to me that there's the lack it's the lack of experience and the lack of yeah, the lack of experience in closing out these games. So they got the Packers on Saturday at Lambeau, which I think will probably not be a 10 points or less kind of a game because <laughs> they are in prime time on national television. And anybody that knows me knows how I feel about the Panthers on national television. Every time they get on national television, they look like shit. So, um, this is going to be a game where I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing that. Um, the you know, the score bowl with Washington with the Red Hot uh, Washington team, I think this will be a close game, but Washington will prevail. And then the Saints uh, will do kind of depend on where they are, uh, where where they are versus where uh, Seattle most likely is, because that's the team that's probably chasing them for that uh, top seed in the NFC. Um uh, was I don't see, uh, you know, they played them close in New Orleans. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens in Charlotte. Uh, for me, it's just uh, making sure that, you know, solidify Jeremy Chin, getting uh, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, it's going to either be him or Chase Young getting that in the NFC. Uh, Chin has been a really pleasant surprise. Um, I do want to see, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, he's completing the passes. He's just not throwing touchdowns. Um, and that's what, you know, you need to, um, get these wins. So, yeah, I just, I, I see four and 12 on the horizon, um, maybe five and 11, but um, I just want to see it just finish strong and continue to develop at this point. All right. The Buccaneers behind the big plays, uh, mostly from Tom Brady in the passing game. They hold on to their playoff spot with a 26-14 win over the Vikings. The Vikings uh, were right behind the Buccaneers uh, one game back. 
uh, in the playoff standings for the final playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, so this was uh, probably an elimination game for the Vikings. Uh, Dan Bailey uh, really did the Vikings in. He missed uh, two field goals and an extra point uh, to really kind of hold them back when they were dominating this game in the first half. Um, Tom Brady connected. I think I used to call that man automatic. Yeah, I know, right? He used to be the one player I was scared of on the Cowboys for so many years. <laughs> um, it's like, just don't get to the end of the game where Dan Bailey has to kick it because we're about to lose. Um, right. But, yeah, so he, he has definitely hit a, a, a tough spot in his career. Probably going to be cut on Tuesday uh, from the Vikings. Uh, he's missed. Uh, he's had like a terrible month. He's missed like some like eight kicks uh, uh, this month. So definitely won't be long for the Vikings. Uh, the Buccaneers, though, they are the story here. Still not the weld oil machine we thought they would be on offense. Um, their defense seems to be, you know, a little spotty. Uh, sometimes they show up and sometimes they get toasted. Uh, what do you see as their long-term uh, future going through the playoffs? Do, do they make the playoffs? And then once they, if they make the playoffs, uh, how far do you think that they get? Uh, for Tampa, I see them maybe, excuse me, I see them maybe getting, one win, and then they're out of the divisional round. Um, it's really, I mean, either way, they're going to be going on the road. So, so it's going to just depend on how they, who they match up with, and if they can get that, get that momentum to get that road win. Um, yeah, that's really where the the uh, difference is going to be. Um, the bonding trip, the NFL, the bonding trip, because, uh, you know, the issues that uh, Brady and Arians have had, uh, they try to see if they could do like a golf, a golf outing, but NFL was like that not while this COVID is running rampant. That's not happening. So, so the attempt to get the chemistry going between the coach and the quarterback not working. And as a result, that's kind of been the thing that has really derailed what could be what usually, what was, what's the word I'm looking for? what was supposed to be, there we go, was supposed to be a beautiful partnership between the man I call the quarterback whisperer, Bruce Arians, and Tom Brady. I mean, there's things that um, Bruce Arians has been able to do with quarterbacks, but, you know, he's probably never had anybody that has won so many Super Bowls and it's done it his way and feels like his way is the way so um, I this partnership I just I, I was expecting more but obviously this is this is why games are played and and not drawn up on paper and we assume things even though we like to do that 
That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, final matchup will take place this Monday night as we record this. The Browns, they're going to face off against the Ravens with playoff implications for both teams. If the Browns win this game, they tighten up the AFC North race with the Steelers. I think they only become like a game or half a game out. If the Ravens lose this game, they're basically going to be on the outside looking in at the playoffs this year. So this is uh, basically a statement game for both Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield. Uh, this thing has all the makings of being a all-time classic AFC North uh, football game. Uh, hopefully it is a good Donnie Brook and, uh, you know, both of these quarterbacks show what they can do. And we have, you know, an all-time classic. Um, but, yeah, this is a very important game uh, for both of these teams, the old Browns and the new Browns. The old Browns and the new Browns and probably the biggest game in Cleveland – this late in the season in a long time on the anniversary of Art Modell announcing that the Browns are moving to Baltimore to become the new Browns, a.k.a. the Ravens. So there's so much in the story in this matchup and the build for it and the optimism. I think one thing we love about the NFL is what happens in Cleveland. Because we know the history of Cleveland football. The drive, the fumble, the move, Red Ride 88, and the rich history of the Browns prior to all those failures. Um... I mean, is it the curse of Paul? Is it literally the curse of the namesake of the team, Paul Brown, after what Art Modell did to him in the 60s and forced him to create the Cincinnati Bengals? I don't know. But it seems like ever since that has happened, a lot of hard luck has fallen in the world of Cleveland football between two different uh, franchises. Um... And now with this game happening and with so much on the line in this, with so much at stake in this matchup, not only just from a pride factor, but from a playoff standpoint, can the Browns capitalize on what is their biggest moment, like, when was the last time we really saw Cleveland in the spotlight for football? It's been a very long time, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you said, this has all the the buildup is already making the story that much more significant. And hopefully the game will follow suit and you know how the NFL is always better when you have certain teams that are good right you know if if this team is good then the NFL is a little bit better like there's 
and I'm saying this unbi I'm saying this unbiased. There are certain teams when they are in the playoffs, the the league as a whole is a lot better. I you know I'm a Celtics fan, but if the Knicks ever get good again, that's great for the league because there's nothing like there's nothing like playoff basketball at Madison Square Garden. That I even say are good then the league is good when Washington is good the league is a whole lot better as a whole and Cleveland is one of those franchises where because of that fan base because of that city by the Indians may be the original team and the Cavs may be the team that has the most recent championship, but if the Browns win a title, if the Browns ever win a Super Bowl, we might not see Cleveland on the map anymore because <laughs> because they love that that town loves them that much. They have a they have the the most unique way of showing it. But the Browns are the lifeblood of Cleveland, Ohio. And when they are good, that makes the league a whole lot better. Like, I was just a baby when all the things happened. But when you watch ESPN Classic, when you watch those NFL films games, uh, those NFL film shows where you have – the details like a foot, you know, we have the stories and you just feel the pat like the 30 for 30 for Believeland. When like the best segment in Believeland was the Brown segment, right? Like I wasn't interested in the Cavs segment, the Indian segment, but the passion they have for the Browns is second to none. So I hope this game follows. I hope this game's an instant class, especially with the two teams that are playing, the significance of these two teams playing. And I hope it's a great game, and I hope the Browns win. Uh, Cleveland was a staple of my early childhood football rendering. Uh, I've watched a lot of football games with Cleveland, uh, Dick Emberg, and uh Don Trumpy on the call. Um, John Elway uh, in his rise to being an all-time great. You always have to terrorize a team on your way to that position. And the team that that got terrorized was Cleveland. And it's always in the playoffs. Um, I can actually remember watching the Otis, uh, the Ernest Minor fumble game. Uh, actually watching that game live as it happened and looking like, oh, man, this is the year that uh, Cleveland's finally going to get it and they're going to get over the hump. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer uh, was the coach with a young Bill Cowher as a special teams coach. Had a young guy uh, by the name of Bill Belichick. Uh, I mean, not Bill Belichick, Nick Saban helping out too uh, back then. So, yeah, man, the Browns were one of the really – 
up and coming teams of the eighties who never got their due. Um, never get broke through to the um, Super Bowl, but they were in the AFC Championship two times. Um, got to the divisional round a few times. So, yes, a lot of heartbreak in Cleveland uh, since those days in the early 80s. Uh, and it'll be really cool to see Baker Mayfield and those guys kind of bring that, like you said, that passion back to that fan base. Those are some very, very loyal fans because, I mean, even while Washington for the past 20 years has been just awful, uh, Cleveland's got about a 20-year run on that. <laughs> ahead <Right. laughs> and uh, just so many people that I've uh, met in different sports bars over the years who are Browns fans who are there every week and just be like man you guys are some troopers um, really hope yes. that you know they finally can get some, some good luck coming to their team for not just this year but uh, you know a few years uh, you know in a row to, to kind of give that fan base a return on so much of the emotional investment that they've put in uh, mm-hmm. over the past 30 years or so. Yeah, and I got to shout out because I, before the pandemic, I would usually go to the bar on Sundays, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings out in Hermitage, and there's always this one man, and his license plate said Orange Man, and he was a Cleveland Browns fan. Well, he is a Cleveland Browns fan. And anytime the Browns scored, no matter what the score was, they could be getting their asses kicked or they could have been winning the game. You would just hear, touchdown Cleveland, every single time. And, and no matter what, win or lose, that man showed up every single Sunday in his Browns gear with the same enthusiasm. So yeah, they, those fans are those fans are so loyal. They are, you know, loyal to a fault doesn't even describe it. It's just it's just amazing to watch. And and that just makes outsiders like myself want to root for them just because they've been through so much. And you know, you want to see that success that they've been craving for for such a long time that's right that's right we'll continue on your uh shout outs because that's the part of the show that we've reached it's time for your shout outs and thank you <laughs> all right so shout out to the city of cleveland um shout out to you don shout out to all the listeners out there shout out to um you know my city charlotte north carolina of course um would love to be back. I really want to come back to visit, but with everything going on, I probably will be stuck here. Um, whew, let's see. There's so many final thoughts I could go with, so I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. So I'm going to probably go with the J-E-T-S. Let's just end the season, please. Like... 0-13 this team is and they look listless and lifeless uh, against the Seahawks losing 40-3 to I don't even know why the Jets Instagram even posted the score because 
That's just like twisting the knife. Like, that's just taking the knife and just like, guess what? You're losing. We're losing. And we're just keep showing you the score every single time the quarter ends. Like, it was 23-3 at the half, 37-3 in the in the at the end of three, and then 40-3 the final. It's clear that this team has given up on Adam Gase. It's clear this team just does not want to be there anymore. Just end the season. Just put them at the misery. You know, you hate it for guys like Frank Gore. Um, uh, Sam, if Trevor Lawrence decides to go out and go to the NFL draft, um, they should get a return on investment for Sam Darnold. But this team is a dumpster fire. Um, they don't have any playmakers. Um, you know, they don't have, you know, Frank Gore is, I mean, he's ageless, but eventually Father Time's going to catch up here. Um, you know, Sam Darnold doesn't have much to throw to at all. The offensive line is dismal. The defense is not there. This team needs a complete overhaul from ownership down to the front office, down to the coaches staff, and down to the players. Like this is a disaster. I know you the jokes have always flew with the Jets and they've had some low points in their franchise history, but this is definitely the lowest of the low. And it's time to just end the season right now. I'd like to give a shout out to you, Dwayne, for joining me once again here on Know the Score. I give a shout out to everybody here who listens to the show each and every week on the CSPN. We gladly appreciate it. Um, My final thought would probably be with uh, James Harden, the James Harden scenario saga right now. Um, If he really wants to get traded from Houston, uh, he should probably do what he finally did today which was show up to training camp, practice, do all the things that he needs to do uh, to show that he is a, you know, um, you know, I don't want to use the term model citizen, but just get in underneath Houston, let them, you know, work the deal out and, you know, just be an asset to the new coach as much as he can and help Houston win some ball games to start the season, help increase his trade value. And then I think he'll get off of the team that way quicker than his antics uh, that he's been going about here the past week and a half, um, just kind of showing up everywhere among all these COVID outbreaks, not wearing masks and all these different things like that. So um, he's received a lot of criticism uh, the last couple of days just on how he's handled his situation trying to get out of Houston. Um, But I think that showing up, playing, being a part of the team uh, will be his quickest way to get what he wants ultimately, uh, which is to not be a part of the rebuilding. Um, So, you know, let the season start. Maybe after, you know, 20, 25 games, um, you know, they'll have a deal worked out and he'll get to a destination that he feels is more desirable uh, where he can win a championship. But uh, I like the tack that he's starting to take 
and who knows he may get in there and uh, i doubt it but you know there may be um you know some things he can work on with john wall finds out he likes that chemistry a lot and maybe some things will change and he feels that maybe this won't be the rebuild that he thinks it is uh with demarcus cousins and john wall uh, also uh, on the team this year so uh, very right. very interested to see just kind of how that plays out but uh, i i like that he has finally kind of stop trying to be uh, a rebellious uh, figure and kind of getting back within the fold of the team. Can I can I follow up on that real quick? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with this because, I mean, if he does that, that will convince if his destinations are preferred, uh, Brooklyn and, and or Philly, well, Brooklyn or Philly here, then that may convince like the Sixers to give what Houston what give Houston what they want. Uh, being a professional, like he's the person he should follow here in this case is Jimmy Butler, because Jimmy Butler, for the most part, he has, you know, he suits up for whoever he's playing with. He gets traded. Then gets suited up. He makes a big deal, but he still goes out and plays the game. And that's all James Harden needs to do. And I, like you said, if he increases his value, then the Sixers may cough up Ben Simmons. They may cough up, um, you know, the hope that they were going to get uh, KD or Kyrie. Like they, That will help the new team be like, okay, maybe this guy will be worth it doing it like this. So I agree with what you said. Go up, show out, and let the chips fall today. All right, so for the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. <laughs>